Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25 today. Uh, We left off in Genesis 24 last time we were together. Um, You know, the the big thing going on in our culture right now, maybe this past week, and it's been a discussion not just um, in the world of sports, but in the world in general, was a tragic death of uh, Kobe Bean Bryant, uh, 41 years old, uh, while we were in here last Sunday. Uh, Kobe and his daughter and two other entire families were killed uh, in a helicopter crash um, last week. And I want to briefly look at that because I think it has a direct application to be made in the text that we're going to talk about today. And you'll see when I get there. But Kobe, um, I I grew up a Lakers fan and Kobe was always the best player on my favorite team. And uh, his skill and mind for the game were legendary, even while... Uh, he was he was playing, and it's true, Leslie. It's true, right? Um, but but they but they were, and it seemed that Kobe had hit his stride after basketball. You know, Kobe uh, had been one of the most gifted and hardworking guys while in the NBA, but now he had become sort of a, a creative content guy and was making things for major uh, networks and stuff like that. And it also, more importantly, seemed that you know. Earlier in his career, Kobe had a, a pretty uh, drastic moral failure in his marriage, but it seemed like Kobe had truly reconciled with his wife and had become a guy that was uh, a family man. He was devoted to his wife and kids. Again, yet last Sunday, while we were in here, uh, he was killed, 41 years old, a shock to the system of, of our culture. It's been all over the news. Uh, I had a hard time believing it. Um, Adam Black, pastor's next door, sent me a text, and I said, man, get out of here. You're kidding me right now. He said, no, 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 it's real. And that's been a repeated, like, recurring theme. I've heard other um, all-time NBA greats say, man, Kobe's not supposed to die. Kobe's immortal. I thought, I thought Kobe's like this bigger, larger-than-life person. He's, he's, Kobe's immortal. Kobe's not immortal. And events like this tragic thing happening last week make us realize that we're not immortal either. Sad, tragic things like this give us pause and make us think about the bigger picture, what what really matters in life, who really matters in our lives. And this has everything to do with our passage because what we're going to see today uh, with a fellow named Esau, a descendant of Abraham, is a fellow who lost sight of the bigger picture. Is a guy who somehow had been, I don't know, lulled asleep or become numb, maybe, to the things that really do matter. Uh, we've been looking at the life of Abraham, the father of God's chosen people through whom the Messiah would ultimately be born, that all nations would be blessed through Abraham in that way. And we'll be mostly focusing on the life of one of Abraham's descendants, like I said, Esau today. But before we get there, in 20, Genesis 25, I want us to look at a little section in there, verses 7 through 11, because it deals with the end of the life of Abraham. 
Genesis 25, 7 through 11. It says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased for, from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with, his, with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahiroi. The reason I want us to look uh, here before we get to Esau, number one, is because we've been studying the life of Abraham for months, and I think it's appropriate that we take a look at the end of his life. But I think it also, also speaks to this tragedy we've been dealing with as a culture this past week, again, with Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and two other uh, families uh, dying on, on that helicopter. Um, I want you to notice in the text who it was that buried Abraham in verse 9. Do you see that in verse 9? Who buried Abraham? Isaac and Ishmael, both of his sons. Now, that may not seem unusual because that's kind of the, it's like the natural, unfortunately, it's a natural, usual course of life that sons bury their fathers. You remember who these two cats are, Isaac and Ishmael? These are guys born of two different moms, one of the chosen line, one not of the chosen line, Sarah and Hagar. Isaac was the son of promise. Remember, God's covenant was renewed from Abraham to Isaac. It was not renewed with Ishmael, even though Ishmael was the firstborn. Isaac and Ishmael um, went two separate ways, sort of financially. Ishmael's family got blessing, but the Bible records for us in Genesis 25 that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Can imagine what that does in the heart of another young man, Ishmael? Isaac and Ishmael did not live in proximity to one another, and they did not live in relationship with one another. These were guys who had enmity between one another. So Ishmael had a broken relationship with his brother Isaac and Ishmael had a broken relationship with his father, Abraham, who he's now being asked to bury. This is real life stuff, isn't it? This is sadly real life situation. Yet here are these boys together burying Abraham. And I, I had never noticed that in the text. I was listening to a, a message from a different pastor and he pointed out that this thing about Isaac and Ishmael, I was like, wow. There's so many applications there. And I just want to pause and have us ask some questions, some very real direct questions, the same kinds of questions that um, you heard people asking in relation to uh, the death of Kobe Bryant. You heard people saying, man, you know, it's really made me stop and think about some questions in life. Um, and I think this, this same thing with Isaac and Ishmael should do it here. Here are these two estranged brothers, one brother estranged from the father that he's being asked to bury, yet to get together, here they come to bury and honor their father. So I, I just want you to, to think about a question, some questions today. How are the relationships in your family? For your part, we can't control other people, but for your part, how are the relationships with your family. Maybe, for example, if, if something came down to 
God forbid, but it, there's a 100% chance, realistically, all of us will die if Jesus doesn't return soon, right? So realistically, if you were placed in this situation, could you come together with that brother or sister to honor the burial of your parent if you had to? Would you be able to look beyond the strife and see the bigger picture? Could you do, for your part, could you do that? Could you, could you bury that animosity with your sibling? Let's think of it in reverse. Kobe Bryant's young wife, Vanessa, lost both her husband at age 41 and her daughter at age 13 on the same day. What regrets would you have if you're a married person in here? What would regret, regrets would you have in your relationship with your spouse if you had to bury them today? What regrets might you have? What, would you be able to bury your child with a clear conscience to your relationship with them? Nobody expected this, right? Everybody thought Kobe was immortal. Uh, little Gigi was 13 years old, on the rise. Uh, what if you found out that that friend of yours that used to be you were really, really close with them, and you found out this week, man, they, they, they died? What if you found out this morning, like we found out with Kobe last week, that, man, they, they died today? What regrets would you have? What regrets would you, would you have in that situation? Maybe that family member that you're estranged from. Listen, we do not have to live in jeopardy of having those regrets. You guys realize that? That we have that power. We don't have to live in jeopardy of having those regrets. That's, that should make you go, I'm so glad. And maybe some of the reason we don't, I'm so glad, is because there's still some jeopardy in our relationships out there. Um, so I just want to encourage us to hit the pause button this morning and consider the bigger picture in light of those things. What really matters in life? I would say that primarily our relationships matter. They are sacred to the Lord and they should be sacred to us. And primarily, we'll talk about this at the end, our relationship with the Lord himself matters and is sacred. Uh, so you know what keeps us from realizing, I think as a culture, what keeps us from realizing and or appreciating the bigger picture? I think one of the biggest things is that we are people that are being taught to live in the moment. Isn't that like a cultural thing? Live in the now, live for the moment. Um, and that's what we're going to see in our main passage today in the life of Isaac's son, Esau. Here's a guy living for the moment. Um, and it's going to lead to some tragic outcomes in the life of Isaac. Let's pick up in verse 19. Take a look at this man living for the moment. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. We're just going to finish out the chapter, by the way. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, at Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, uh, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. 
the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Let me pause here. Jacob uh, uh, is, literally means he grabs by the heel. It was an idiom or like a, a figure of speech, meaning this guy's a cheater. Okay, this, this is Jacob, and you're, you're going to see this throughout Jacob's life. Um, and Esau sounds like red. Uh, so anyway, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You're going to see that play out next week. Once, and here's our focus for today, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Again, Edom sounds like red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Did I, I heard somebody out there say stupid. So who said that? Somebody said stupid. Uh, you know, this is a seemingly small event. This is a little vignette that the Bible puts in there. It's going to have gigantic, literally history-changing ramifications, as we're going to see going forward. Um, we won't get into a lot of those until the next chapter uh, next week. But today, I want us to see one simple thing, just one simple truth, and is that Esau fell prey to the danger of living in the moment. Esau fell prey to the danger of living in the moment. Again, I said that our culture is all about living in the moment. Now, there's some good things uh, about being able to, to live in the moment, help you to focus on the task at hand. You know, if, you're, if you've ever had to shoot free throws in front of people or hit a golf tee shot in front of people, it's awful, right? But being able to focus in the moment, okay, it's just me and a ball. It's me and a hoop. It's, it's the same me shooting free throws here with nobody in the gym as if there's 5,000 people in the gym, right? It doesn't matter. I'm in the moment. I'm just shooting free throws like in my backyard. That's how you do it, right, Tim? Just, it's a regular old thing. So there's, there's some strength in being able to live in the moment. You know, there's, um, it's, it's sometimes good to be able to focus on the small thing and not be overwhelmed by the bigger picture, isn't it? I can just kind of get through that way. Um, but it's one thing to have that as something that can help you focus on a task at hand. It's a different thing to have that as a philosophy of life, just living in the moment. It's one thing to not be overwhelmed by the big picture, but it's another thing altogether to forget the, and miss the big picture altogether, right? A lifestyle of living in the now or being all about this present moment puts us in danger of really missing the big picture. And what happens is it makes us 
prisoners of the moment. Living in, the danger of living in the moment is that we can become prisoners of the moment. A prisoner of the moment is somebody whose, whose uh, thoughts and deeds and motives and ideas all focus on the right here, right now, without regarding what has come from the past and what might happen in the future. That person is a prisoner of the moment. Esau here is a prisoner of the moment. I was reading an article on being a prisoner of the moment. It had some powerful things to say. I can't remember if I had a slide for this or not, but I'll read it to you. Uh, we rarely think past moment to moment because when we do, it raises all kinds of scary questions that we often refuse to face. We'd rather live emotionally than rationally, possibly because we're wired that way, but also because it's easier to be that way, at least in the short term. The guy said, I'd like to point out that prisoners of the moment are always prisoners of their own making. The emotions we feel come whether we want them or not, but our actions, however, are always our choice. Spot on the money. Spot on the money. And as we see today, when we're prisoners of the moment, like Esau, the choices we make can have terrible, terrible consequences that we never saw coming because we were prisoners of the moment. So what's Esau's problem? Again, when we were reading the account there, I heard somebody say, yeah, of course we read that and say, Esau, what in the world are you doing? How, why was Esau a prisoner of the moment? Well, listen, Esau is, uh, this was thousands of years ago, but Esau is the postmodern person. Esau is in our day. Um, he's a very contemporary thinker. Um, this was, Esau was living exactly the way our culture would have us live. He was the embodiment of the way we're being kind of uh, uh, brainwashed, willingly or unwillingly, to live. You may not be familiar with this term. There's a term coming up on the screen, existentialism. Existentialism is what philosophers call this. Here, let me show you what this looks like, and you'll be like, yep, I, I didn't know the word, but I recognize that. Existentialism teaches the supremacy of the individual. It's not about family. It's not about your lineage or your responsibility to other people. It's about self. And the self is supreme. Existentialism is about supremacy of choice. Again, it's about personal autonomy and self-determination. It's the ability to do as we choose and to set our own course in life. Thoughts about life and death and, and what you're impact is on other people, of considering how you fit into the broader community. Those things are kind of uh, avoided or put, in, put under self-determination and choice. Existentialism is, says that you can create your own meaning in life. There really actually is no greater meaning in life, but whatever you determine that to be, that's your meaning, right? That's existentialism. That's, that's the um, mood of our culture, if you will. Um, your your uh, own meaning is created through your own actions. And that's what defines you. And in fact, the ultimate goal is being your authentic self. And only you can define what that is. You get to define you and you do you. And if you do that well, whatever you say it is, 
then you're doing life well. Now, you may not have heard the word existentialism or have heard it since college, but isn't, aren't we living in that culture? That's the culture we live in. That's what we're being taught to think. That's how we're being uh, taught to live. It's the philosophy of our day, and it was the philosophy of Esau. So let's perk up here, realize that God wrote a book. It is ever relevant. It is in the right here. It is, it is for us right here, right now today, because we're looking at a guy with Esau who is just like us or is just like we are being taught to be. Um, but like I said, how do we, uh, how, how did Esau come to be of a mind that he could sell his birthright so easily? We look at it and immediately read, stupid. I mean, yeah, because what Esau despised was not a small thing. We can, um, it's going to be coming up on the screen. You don't have to flip back there. But in Genesis 12, there was a summary of what Esau stood to inherit. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Man, what a wonderful inheritance Abraham's descendants that was, and it was always passed down through the firstborn unless something uh, drastic happened. Um, but God promises a permanent homeland, greatness of power and prosperity throughout generations, a great name throughout generations. Abraham's descendants would be a force for great, good, mighty things, most of all, that they would produce the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Um, and even if we disregard um, this covenant promise, Esau actually stood to get really wealthy. Abraham was a wealthy dude. Abraham uh, had all kinds of things. Genesis 24 uh, last week told us, uh, Abraham's servant says to Rebekah's family, says, the Lord has blessed my master greatly. That's Abraham. And he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And then later in the chapter, again, it says, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Abraham had, Abraham had passed down this great wealth to Isaac. As the firstborn bearing the birthright, Esau stood to inherit all that great wealth from his father, Isaac. That's how it was supposed to have happened. And a bowl of lentils and bread hardly compares to flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. What, what in the world has Esau forfeited here? And Esau would have been crystal clear about the covenant part thing that he would have been given up because we remember as we walk through the book of Genesis that the angel of the Lord himself has appeared to Abraham and says, listen, the covenant is holding true. The covenant is real. My promise is good. And then the Lord appeared to Isaac and conveyed the covenant to Isaac. And I guarantee Esau would have known about these events over and over. Do you remember when the Lord appeared to us? Do you remember? Esau knew full well what he was giving up. So how could he had what the Bible says, despise, which means to give no value to, to have no appreciation for? How could Esau have despised his birthright in such a way? 
I think that Esau's problem is most clearly seen in the words of Jesus that Esau did not treasure his inheritance. Remember what Jesus says? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. People usually don't sell something unless they value something else more in its place. So here we have Esau selling his birthright for essentially nothing, for giving it away. Esau's heart was not with the things of the Lord or the Lord's promise or the Lord's covenant. His treasure was his appetites, his desires for the moment, and the right here, the right now. His immediate wants had clouded out the things of God. So a real simple question for us today would be, what do you treasure? Pause and think for that for a second while I get some water. What do you, what do you treasure? Christian teacher Ravi Zacharias, one of my homeboys, said this. It's coming up on the screen, I believe. <clears throat> the birthright was supposed to be a cherished thing. Maybe it's not. That's my fault if it's not. The birth, listen up. The birthright was supposed to be a cherished thing. It represented the dignity, inheritance, and leadership that would come to its beneficiary, listen, in the future. But Esau saw neither sense nor value in waiting for the future. He was hungry, and he wanted what he wanted now. And so he gave away what should have been the most important thing to him in order to feed his desire. Ravi continues, how senseless we might say of this story. Yet we do the very same thing when we spend our time in pursuit of what we want right now at the expense of what is lasting. Again, Jesus said it simply, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? Now we can reasonably affirm or assume, infer that Esau wasn't speaking literally here. He knew he wasn't literally going to die if he didn't eat lentils right then. It's a metaphor, but it does show us how very little he valued the inheritance that he's about to trade away. It meant nothing to him, nothing to him. Again, not only did he have all the financial blessing to lose, but God had a covenant made that had gone to Abraham, had gone to Isaac, and now stood to go to uh, Esau of land, a great name, and all people blessed through them. But Esau is a prisoner of the moment, and he does not care. doesn't care. He's focused on himself and his immediate desires, and he misses the bigger picture. So I want us to look now at how Esau missed that. Look at this covenant that he stood to gain and it'll show us how Esau missed it. The first thing in the covenant was land. Land, God had promised land. When you inherit land, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. This land, it was supposed to be for entire generations until the end of history. It was a permanent covenant God was making. So when you forfeit the land for yourself, you're forfeiting the land for everybody else who comes after you as long as the world remains. This is not a small thing. It was supposed to go to Esau. Esau apparently though did not care about providing for other people. 
He did not care. This was a stewardship issue. Esau squandered what he had because he did not care about providing for other people. This inheritance of, of permanent homeland was huge. Not just for him, it would have made him a, a great king guy, but he forfeited it for everybody else. Um, so let's be plain and, and talk real clear here, something we don't talk about a lot at Reach Life Church, and talk about resources, money. And ask the question, does your dealing with your money reflect self-centeredness? Or is there both an intentional, which means calculated and specific, giving in your life? And is there uh, an open, a looking for opportunities? Is that, are those postures descriptive of you? Are you thinking about others? Are you using your money so that God will bless others both now and when you leave this world. Of course, right now, you know, if, if, you're, if you're drowning in debt uh, because you've been living in the moment, right? If you're drowning in debt, or maybe it's just because you've never learned how to properly manage your money, if you're drowning in debt, then you can't be a great blessing in giving to others right now. You just can't. You don't, you don't have the margin to do so. So a way that we could steward well and think the big picture and not just forfeit what we have and bless others is to steward our money well now. You likely can't participate in the advancement of the gospel through the church like you would want to because you've um, been living in a prisoner, as a prisoner of the moment, living in the now, not managing things well. And so therefore, you can't really contribute things well. But like Esau, you know, um, when you invest in the gospel, advancing the gospel, it's not just for the here and now, is it? There are literally eternal consequences and fruit to be born. Um, and your stewardship doesn't just apply to the church. Again, this is real practical stuff here. But things like um, insurance. You didn't think you'd hear about that from a pulpit, did you? Insurance. Why would I have insurance? Because think about what Esau's inheritance was. It was something that he had, that he had uh, accumulated from his dad, that he had accumulated from his dad, that he could then pass on to generations behind him. I don't have a bunch of land to give to people. You may not either. But one thing you can have is maybe something like life insurance so that when, um, you know, again, there's a 100% chance uh, should the Lord tarry that all of us will die? You could leave something like life insurance so that your, uh, the burden can be lifted a little bit maybe for those who come behind you. Or maybe wise savings. Wise savings so that you're not a burden uh, unduly on other people. Um, if you're young and single, you have a job, are you thinking with the big picture of your resources? I remember living at home. I still kick myself for these days. <clears throat> I remember living at home. I think I was like 19 or 20. I was living at home. And I was working at Home Depot. And this was back in uh, the mid-90s. And uh, that was quite a while ago. But I was making like $18.50 an hour and living at home. I saved zero cents. <laughs> I saved zero cents of that. And looking back, I realized I had zero cents for not doing so. I did not steward my money. Well. I didn't appreciate what I had. 
I really didn't. And so you know what I, you know what I gave it away on? I, I, man, I ate such good food. I wore such nice clothes. I did whatever I wanted to do. But I was right here, right now, living hand to mouth. Hand to mouth, hand to mouth, right? I was a poor steward. I was a poor steward. So if you're young and single, you got a job. Uh, if you're old and single, you have a job. Are you thinking about the big picture? with your resources? Are you stewarding them well? Are you investing and giving? You know, uh, stewardship is demonstrating to God your gratefulness for his provision of the things that you have. That's what stewardship is. Now listen, I'm not saying don't have fun. I I wear a necklace. I usually wear it on the inside of my shirt, uh, but I wore it on the outside of my shirt today. On one side, it says memento mori. Remember death. Well, that's fun, isn't it? But it's an old... uh, thing that monks came up with is that, listen, as you live day to day, remember to live in light of eternity. You will die. But on the other side of my necklace, it says, memento vivere, which means remember to live. Right? So we need to walk this balance. Yes, it's great to, to enjoy life and have fun, but we should live in such a way that stewards our lives. There's an old country song that says, live like you were dying. Right. In other words, man, it's not. And the the song goes into existentialism. I I wrote a a mechanical bull or whatever. So what? It's talking about it should be about I'm living right here, right now with the bigger picture in mind. I'm not going to be Esau. I'm not going to have this great gift of God of my life, of my resources, of my relationships and see something in the present right in front of my eyes that I desire and I want it. And I forfeit all of that for this that's fleeting anyway and is a vapor and is gone. The Lord would have better for us. That, that goes to the second thing that God was going to give in this covenant and that he was going to give a great name to these people. And he had through Abraham, he had through Isaac, and it stood to go through Esau. This is talking about a great legacy, leaving a great legacy, having a great name. This is a stewardship issue as well, isn't it? We are right now crafting our legacies. Do you guys realize that? You are right now living your obituary. You're writing it. Legit, right now, you are writing what people will say about you when you die. And let's not have them have to make things up. Right? Let's live well, live well. So let me just pause here and encourage you to live right now in such a way that you can honor God with giving, having a legacy that when your name is mentioned, it reflects well on his name. Because his name is greater than our name, and the only reason he would give us a great name is so that we can reflect the greatness of his name. Right? That's the reason. Um, the, and, and just real practically, the absolute best way I know to do that is to legit be, make, grow, and unleash gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. It's not just a slogan, people. I cannot think of a better investment of my time, talents, and stuff than helping people know Jesus and walk with him. I cannot think of a better thing to do with my life. In fact, I'm beginning to believe it's why we were put here to begin with. So, real question. Practical question, family. Are you investing your time, your talent, and your stuff 
in making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. Again, it's not it's not just a phrase. It's not just something we repeat and have on our walls and on our website and things like that. This is what God is calling all his children to do. And we're rallying around that as a church called Reach Life. We want to make Jesus's name great. And anything that comes to our name, we want it to reflect well on his name. We want to steward our individual legacies and our legacies as our legacy as a church. And so just pause and think, man, you know that James preached a few weeks ago that the first component of our mission is kind of uh, implied that you first have to be a gospel centered disciples of Jesus, disciple of Jesus before you can make grow and unleash them. So just pause for a second. Let me ask you a question. What is your bowl of lentils? Here's what I mean. What are you grasping for right now in life? That if you hold on to that thing and you pursue that thing, you will forfeit your inheritance. What is your bowl of lentils? What is the thing in your life that has taken precedent that is right in front of you and looks, looks delicious and looks great and you're pursuing that And while you're pursuing that, you're having to let go of everything else that really matters. What is it that you're willing to forfeit things for? You know, the biggest, the third thing that the Lord promised um, through this covenant is I think it's the biggest that all nations would be blessed through the people of the birthright. That was that the Savior, Jesus, would come into the world to die for the people who would crucify him, us, ultimately, and then rise from the dead saying, mission accomplished. I am who I say I am. That was the biggest thing I think Esau forfeited. You realize that Esau was set up as the firstborn with the birthright to have the Messiah, the savior of the world be born in his family. That also was not lost on Esau when he gave it up. Again, the the angel of the Lord himself had visited Abraham, had visited Isaac. Esau knew this very well. Esau knew the Messiah was coming. The promised one was coming through his lineage. Yet because he was a prisoner of the moment, he did not care. He literally gave up Jesus. He literally gave up Jesus. And I think that's the biggest tragedy. But so we don't miss it, and hopefully so we don't forfeit it. I want us to close by looking at the Gospel of John and revisit what should be a familiar passage to all of us now. John chapter 1 talks about the inheritance that we all can have. Verses 9 through 13 say, The true light, that's Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Listen, here's the promise. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
you are being offered by the firstborn raised from the dead, Jesus Christ himself, to be a member of the family of God. Do not miss it. That inheritance is literally on the table. It's literally sitting in front of you. That is the inheritance that God offers to all who will place their trust in Jesus. And we have two things sitting on the table of our lives. We have that inheritance, Jesus Christ himself, the family of God. And we have whatever our bowl of lentils is. Our bowl of lentils is whatever we're willing to sacrifice our relationship with the Lord for. Those two things are on the table, you guys. Let's not miss it. We are offered a great inheritance by the firstborn from the dead himself, Jesus Christ. It's on the table. He's made the offer. Let's not, I pray that we don't squander that offer because of some temporary desire or maybe our unwillingness to appreciate the gift of God's grace to us. The good news is, the good news is that if you are in Christ, in other words, if you have given your life to Jesus because he gave his life for you, that means you're in the family of God, be encouraged because 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul tells us about this inheritance. He says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That is our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Paul can't even describe it. He says you can't even imagine it. So what have we seen today? I hope that maybe the Lord has allowed us to look in the pages of Scripture, just a small little account with really only one lesson. I hope that God has allowed us to look in the mirror of his word and see the face of Esau when we look in the mirror. I hope God will help us see a guy who willfully ignored, ultimately rejected the big picture. And in doing so, he forfeited his inheritance. I I believe in this text today, God, in this account with Esau, God is giving us a warning. That I believe if we look close enough and we ask the Spirit of God to reveal to us, we might see a little bit of Esau in our own reflections. Um. So ask yourself, what are your appetites? What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? You can answer that that question by realizing what consumes your thoughts. What are most of your deeds oriented around? What are most of your motives trying to get at? Right? What are your what are your appetites? What are you hungry for? I hope so. Amen, Lisa. And then what is it that you really treasure? Not what do you want to treasure? What do you really treasure? And the way that you could tell what you really treasure is that which you are willing to sacrifice the most for. For Esau, he wasn't even willing to sacrifice the stew that looked really great. But what are you willing to sacrifice most for? What you treasure, you will protect. What you treasure, you will invest in. Again, as Jesus said, what you treasure, that's where your heart is. So just consider your time, your talents, your treasure. Where are you investing? And then say, okay, if I'm investing in those things, is it a worthy investment? If that's where all my efforts are going, my thoughts, my deeds, my motives, is it worthy? Is it worthy? So let's not live for the moment. 
I pray that God would help us to see that as a great uh, Christian missionary, C.T. Studd said, you'll see it uh, maybe come up, says, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Let's live in light of the bigger picture, and I pray that um, you would remember what's on the table today. There's inheritance or being a prisoner, prisoner of the moment. Pray that God would help us realize those things today.